Hello, welcome to the second part of a podcast on closed network. Today I have here again Dinesh Dutt. Hey Silvano. Hello everyone. It's uh, good to be back to discuss closed networks again on uh, Silvano's podcast. Thank you so much, Dinesh. Let me summarize what we discussed in the first episode. We discussed the basic closed network with leaves and spine. And we said that in the backbone, closed network run layer 3 and they limit layer 2 at the edge. If you want to propagate layer 2 across multiple leaves, there is a technique that is called network virtualization. And I think this is what we are going to describe today. Yes, I think once people moved on to class topology, the next thing that came up in order for the class topology to become more common across the enterprises uh, is the invention of how do I transport uh, layer 2 packets across a layer 3 network and uh, that came about with network virtualization. And so we'll be talking about network virtualization today. An important point to talk about right at the outset is network virtualization itself like much of uh, networking contains two parts. There is a data path and then there is the control path. To be very precise to the listeners, uh, today we'll be covering the data path. So data path it is and we will cover control path in a future episode. Let's now start to describe what is network virtualization. So network virtualization is a terminology that most of you have encountered in one form or the other already. VLAN is a kind of network virtualization. VRF is another kind of network virtualization. When we say network virtualization, it is a technique of creating virtual networks or carving virtual networks out of a physical network. Just as in the case of VLANs where you took a single ethernet and you carved it out via the methodology called trunking to carry multiple different broadcast domains, each in its own different VLAN, we can use network virtualization to do similar things in other circumstances. In this particular case, we will use network virtualization to spread IP subnet across more than a single pair of leaves or a single leaf uh, to which a server is attached. Okay, Dinesh, in some case you, you speak of a single leaf, in some case you speak of a pair of leaf. Can you clarify that? So in the first episode, we talked about the fact that servers are attached to the class network in one of two ways. In the hyperscalers, it is attached typically in a single fashion, meaning a server is attached to exactly one leaf and one leaf only. In the case of the enterprise, a single server is connected to a pair of leaves and primarily the reason for doing this is to ensure that a single failure does not take down all the servers attached to a leaf. If you think about a hyperscaler, the hyperscaler has a lot of servers. So because they have so many servers, they can afford to lose a complete rack and not feel the difference. Enterprises typically do not have that many servers or spare capacity. And so what they end up doing is dual attaching servers to a pair of leaves so that the failure of a single leaf or even if they're doing maintenance upgrade of a single leaf, the entire rack of servers associated with that leaf is not brought down. So that's the case where I talk of a pair of leaves or a single leaf. So today, most of the application use a 
pure layer 3 transport used typically by IP protocol to communicate with other uh, between the server and the client or between server and server. But I suppose we need this uh, network virtualization because some application or some server may still need layer 2 connectivity. Is that correct? That is correct. So to be very precise, today I think almost every single application out there is an IP network application, meaning that they use IP networking to communicate with each other. However, the question is one of whether they assume that certain functionality is possible or which is essentially application requirement is possible only if the endpoints are in the same subnet. As an example, when you have VM mobility, uh, VMware, despite uh, various reasons uh, indicating that it is certainly possible to have it all work at layer 3, uh, they continue to say that you will only support VM mobility if the network is a layer 2 network. Another example is traditional applications which have not yet been migrated to the modern application framework which rely on layer 2 network characteristics such as sending out a broadcast or a multicast packet to do both cluster discovery and to do heartbeat. These may be IP packets, but they still rely on their ability to be able to send a single broadcast packet to the Ethernet broadcast address or to the Ethernet multicast address and be able to ensure that they can discover other members that way. Another example of such a requirement is in storage networks where many storage appliances still rely on that mechanism to discover other storage appliances so that they can form a cluster. So Dinesh, if this is the case, why do we need network virtualization? What aspect of closed topology doesn't allow us to solve this problem? Think about it. We said that network virtualization is required in order for layer 2 multicast and layer 2 broadcast packets to propagate across a closed topology. We said in the first part that the clause topology is essentially a network in which packet forwarding happens by routing. A characteristic of routing is it stops the layer 2 domain at the routing edge. So a routing edge, a broadcast domain or a layer 2 domain cannot extend beyond a router. It never crosses a routing boundary. In the case of the clause topology, when you think about it, if a storage appliance is connected to one rack, and there is a different member of the same storage appliance connected to a different rack and they need to discover each other and the way they discover each other is using L2 multicast or L2 broadcast then they need the packet to go from the leaf to which one is attached over the clause topology to the other leaf where the other device is attached or if you take the case of VM mobility where they want you to have the VM retain the IP address, then the subnet of the IP address is no longer associated with a single leaf. The subnet is now spread across multiple leaves. So now when you look at an ARC packet, because when uh, VM A wants to communicate with VM B and they both belong to the same subnet, it sends an ARC packet. The ARC packet is a broadcast packet, a layer 2 broadcast packet that packet cannot traverse the clause topology. So in both of these cases, the clause topology, because of the fact that it's inherently a routed topology, prevents endpoints from communicating with each other. And this is the problem that network virtualization is trying to solve. 
So network virtualization solve these putting packet in tunnel you told us before. So I'm sure there are tunneling protocol and there are standard tunneling protocol. Can you comment on them? So essentially by tunneling, what we essentially mean is we take the packet which cannot traverse a network, in this case, ARP packet, which cannot go across the clause topology because it's not an IP packet, and we stuff it inside an IP packet and send it across the clause topology because the clause topology routes the packet. It doesn't know what is inside the packet. So you can take an ARP packet, route it from one leaf to the other leaf, and then strip the IP header off that leaf and send the ARP packet out the locally associated ports. This is a way in which you solve the problem of network virtualization or the ability to span a layer, layer two boundary across more than a single leaf. There are multiple ways in which you can do uh, tunneling, network tunnels. The classic one, the most popular one is of course MPLS. Uh, but inside the data center, MPLS is not used because of the complexity that comes about because of it and also because of other reasons such as wanting end hosts also to be the start and end of tunnels. And we'll talk about that separately a little later. But essentially there are multiple tunneling protocols and inside the data center, the one that is most popular today is called VXLAN. Should we introduce here a bit of terminology and define what is an overlay and what is an underlay? Yes, this is an excellent spot to introduce a few different pieces of terminology. And let's start with the first one that you mentioned, which is an overlay and which is the underlay. So when you think about network tunnels, the network tunnels are as if they're riding on top of the clause topology. The clause topology itself is completely unaware of the fact that an ARP packet is making its way from one leaf to a completely different leaf across the routed topology. So in this case, because the layer two packet or essentially the packet in the same subnet or then the same layer two domain is traveling on top of the clause topology, that packet is called the overlay. And the clause topology itself is called the underlay. So the clause topology, which is the underlay, provides the fundamental packet forwarding or routing mechanism and network virtualization, which writes on top of this underlay, provides the overlay and the functionality of network virtualization. Okay, Dinesh, now we understand what an underlay and an overlay are. I hear also another term very often, which is VTAP. What is a VTAP? So VTAP stands for VXLAN Tunnel Endpoint. Uh, it essentially is the place where the VXLAN tunnel either begins or the VXLAN tunnel ends. In other words, the VTAP is the place where a packet has the VXLAN header added on top of it or the place where the VXLAN header is stripped off. Another word that is used also popularly in this particular context is called NVE, Network Virtualization Edge. And a Network Virtualization Edge and a VTAP are similar in functionality except that VTAP stands for VXLAN Tunnel Endpoint whereas a Network Virtualization Edge potentially can be satisfied by other tunneling protocols. Am I correct in thinking that in a VTAP is where the mapping, for example, from a VLAN on the layer two side of the network toward the host and a VXLAN over the closed network is happening? 
That is exactly the spot where two things happen. The first thing that happens is the mapping that you described. You take a VLAN, which is a local instance of the virtual tunnel, and map it into a VNID, which is the virtual network identifier, which is a global instance of the virtual network. And you map the inner MAC address, which is essentially the MAC address of the packet that you're encapsulating, the destination MAC address of the packet you're encapsulating, and determine which set of VTAPs this packet must be delivered to. For example, if this is a broadcast packet, then this packet must be delivered to every leaf that is a member of this global virtual network. If it is a unicast packet, then it is a packet that must be delivered to the one leaf to which that particular destination MAC address is attached. So that is exactly as you said, the VTAP is the point where the mapping happens from the inner address to the outer address. So I assume that as the VLAN ID is a field in the basic Ethernet packet, the VNID is a field in the VXLAN header. You're absolutely right. Uh, what essentially happens is the packet coming in has the VLAN ID stripped off, the corresponding VNID mapped to, and then sent across the clause topology. Now, in the VXLAN standard, we did define the option of saying that you retain the VLAN ID as is while you ship it across the VXLAN uh, tunnel. Uh, and the reason why you do that is when you're trying to do something like carriers, where you are trying to transport a customer's network, uh, which could be a VLAN as well, over a carrier network. But that's a detail that is irrelevant to the clause topology and the data center network, which is the focus of these talks. And so I will not delve into that anymore. So maintaining our focus on data center, are there other tunneling protocol or encapsulation technique outside VXLAN that are deployed? So today, the most common deployment is using VXLAN. Uh, Microsoft had a version called NVGRE, which was used, and I don't know if they still use it internally inside their Azure cloud, but NVGRE was the other protocol that had come about, but nobody really used it. Uh, I know that, uh, or I'm aware that other hyperscalers like Amazon and Google use their own encapsulation protocols, which are not the same as VXLAN, but it is proprietary to them and they don't really disclose what protocol they use. Newly, a standard called Genev is emerging or has emerged, depending on how you look at it, that has been pushed by VMware specifically to carry more fields than can be defined at the very start of the tunneling protocol. In other words, Genev is a new tunneling protocol that uses TLVs, that is tag length and value, a kind of key value pair combination to carry more information inside a network tunnel than VXLAN or any other classical tunneling technology allows. MPLS is an exception, but like I said, MPLS is not used inside the data center and so VMware invented Genev. Uh, so that's another example of a protocol that uh, is a different tunneling protocol that may be used inside the data center. As far as I know, today VXLAN is the only one that is the most popular uh, network tunneling technology inside the data center. 
Okay, thank you so much. So, it seems that this uh, network virtualization is a pretty mature solution that is deployed by many network in production, and it seems to be pretty good from your description, but I'm sure it has also limitation. Can you point out to our listener the biggest limitation that you see? So, at a very high level, there are essentially four limitations that I think about. The first limitation is how packet load balancing works in a class topology in the presence of tunnels. The second is the fact that the addition of a packet header, which is the VXLAN header, what it does to the MTU of the packet. The third is the lack of visibility into the packet because the tunnel header obscures the packet. And the fourth is the behavior of NICs on the host in the presence of uh, the tunnel headers. Okay, let's take them one by one. So the first one, which is how packet load balancing works, as we mentioned earlier, the class topology's fundamental characteristic, it uses IP routing, and it can use all of the links between the leaf and the spine to be able to deliver a packet. Because of this, the packet gets load balanced. And in order for packet load balancing to work, what you have to ensure is all the packets belonging to a flow take the same path through the class topology. And packets associated with the flow are identified by the same source IP address, same destination IP address, same protocol, which is TCP, UDP, etc. The same source port for uh, in UDP, TCP and the same destination port in UDP and TCP. So any packet that has the same values for all of these five fields must take the same path through the class topology. When you add a VXLAN header on top of it, as you can imagine, the class topology does not know anything about the packet inside. So it is perfectly possible that it will send the packets either in a completely different way. So packets associated with the same flow may take completely different paths, or it may be because all of the packets are going between a single host and a single destination, a single source and a single destination, they all take the exact same path and never utilize the load balanced behavior or all the links inside a class topology. For example, without the VXLAN header, the source port, the desk port might be completely different. And so different source port, desk port combinations will use different links when they're going between two endpoints. When you add a VXLAN header, the tunnel endpoints are identical between uh, the source and the destination hosts. And because the tunnel endpoints are identical, the packet will have a VXLAN header with the same source IP address, the same destination IP address, and so it could end up getting load balanced on the same link. So all packets end up going on the same link. So that's the first problem that any network tunnel must address. I just want to point out that VXLAN does not have this problem. One of the reasons why VXLAN was invented was to avoid this particular problem. And the way it avoids this problem is by using a UDP IP header as the tunnel header. So it takes a packet, adds an IP header, which also contains a UDP IP header, a UDP header along with the VXLAN header. So any router knows how to load balance a UDP IP packet. The source VTAP or the ingress VTAP, what it does is it computes a hash of the original packet and uses that to change the UDP source port. 
The UDP destination port is always the same. It identifies the fact that this is a VXLAN tunneled packet, but the source port can be different. If you remember, the packet load balancing uses five different fields in the IP packet header, the source and the destination IP, the protocol, and the source and destination UDP ports. If all four of these are constant, meaning the source and destination IP addresses are the source VTAP and the destination VTAP, the protocol is UDP, the destination port is VXLAN, the source port is the one field that is left for you to manipulate. And so the ingress VTAP computes a hash of the inner packet and uses that to put the source port in the tunneled header to be a different value so that it will get load balanced across all of the links in the cluster topology. So that's how VXLAN addresses this specific problem. So it is like uh, the ingress VTAP generate multiple tunnel for multiple flow and load balance these tunnels. Exactly. And the tunnels are differentiated by the source UDP port. The tunnels are differentiated as in the tunnel does not really need to be differentiated by the network because if you remember the VXLAN header contains the VNID and that is below the UDP IP header. So that identifies the virtual network. The actual packet itself is inside and so the combination of the virtual network and the inner packet identifies the uniqueness of the packet and the virtual network it belongs to. The UDP IP header is only used to convey the information of the source VTAP and the destination VTAP and the fact that it is a VXLAN tunnel. Let's now discuss the second disadvantage. Every packet is in a routed network has something called an MTU which is called maximum transmission unit. That is the maximum size a packet can be when it goes between two routers. In uh, the classical topo network, which is if you think about the internet, the size is typically 1500 bytes. When you add a tunnel, the tunnel takes up some amount of these 1500 bytes. So the original packet cannot be 1500 bytes. It has to be smaller than 1500 bytes. If you think about what happens to a host, a host does not know that somebody upstream is adding a tunnel header. And so the host will continue to send packets at 1500 bytes if the node upstream, which is the source VTAP, adds a VXLAN header, the packet is now larger than 1500 bytes and fails the MTU test. So this is the second problem that is caused by network tunnels. The way this problem is solved is all modern networks, all modern Ethernet networks carry what is called a jumbo frame, meaning the maximum transmission unit can be larger than 1500 bytes. Typically, it can be as high as 9216 bytes. Different vendors have different, slightly different sizes, but they're all 9,000 plus bytes. So in a VXLAN network, to take advantage of network virtualization, what everybody does is that they set the inter-switch links, that is the links between all the different leaves and spines to be the jumbo frame, and they set the uh, MTU of the packet coming from the host to the leaf to be less than the jumbo frame so that the VXLAN header can be added without violating the MTU of the network. So the solution avoid doing packet fragmentation in the VTAP or anywhere else in the network. Exactly. There is no fragmentation. VXLAN does not uh, do fragmentation of a packet. Okay, we are at the third disadvantage. The third disadvantage is one that is caused by lack of observability. 
And what I mean by lack of observability is you cannot really see what is inside the packet. For example, if I want to give the packet that is being transmitted a different behavior, then I would not be able to do that at this point because that packet is hidden inside a tunnel header. Another classic case where this manifests itself is in the use of something that everybody uses to troubleshoot networks called traceroute. When you use traceroute, because the original packet is hidden and is transported across the underlay, the entire underlay appears to be a single hop to the overlay. Because remember, you are running traceroute in the overlay network. So in the overlay network, the transmission through the clause topology looks like a single hop, which is a single wire. And so you cannot see where the problem is happening if the problem is, there is a problem in the underlay. So this lack of transparency is the third problem that is caused by a network tunnels. And this is not a problem that is easy to solve. There have been proposals to address this by adding extensions and uh, having the uh, switching silicon be able to do additional lookups to be able to support an underlay plus overlay trace route, but I don't believe it is very popular still. Okay, if I remember correctly, the fourth and last one of a disadvantage that you mentioned was somehow related to the NIC. That's correct. So, if you consider the use case of network virtualization, I forgot to mention the most important use case that is in the cloud, which is to be able to support on a single physical infrastructure multiple tenants. So, when I'm supporting in the Amazon cloud, uh, Silvano Guy startup and Dinesh that startup running over the same physical infrastructure, I have to segregate the traffic and keep it separate. That was the original use case for network virtualization. All of the hyperscalers start the tunnel on the host itself. They do not have a packet travel using something like a VLAN up to the first hop, which is the leaf, and then encapsulate the packet at the leaf. They do the encapsulation at the edge, which is on the host itself. And the reason they do this is because of scalability. They can support a lot more things and they do not have to involve the core in being able to understand changes as virtual networks come on and go off. So all of that information is kept hidden and completely obscure from the underlay. The underlay provides just pure transport. So coming back to the, the fourth problem, when you have a network tunnel start on the host itself, the host NIC provides a bunch of functionality that is very important in order for you to get very good throughput on a link. For example, if you've got a 10 gig NIC, in order to be able to push 10 gig, you need some of the functionality that the NIC provides, such as TCP and IP offloads. So TCP provides uh, TCP segmentation, it provides checksumming. There are many such things that are functionalities that the TCP provides, a host NIC provides, that the CPU does not have to do which allows the CPU to be able to push for more packets than it can handle if it had to do all of this work itself. When you add a VXLAN header, now the packet is again obscure. The place where you want to do the checksumming is inside the tunnel header, but you also need to be able to do the checksumming on the outside, which is on the VXLAN header itself. Many NICs did not support this ability to provide offloads on a tunneled packet. As a consequence, if you began a tunnel on the host itself, you had really poor performance. This is the fourth problem of network tunnels. 
newer NICs have addressed this. Not every new NIC does this, but a lot of them do. So you must consult if you are trying to start a network virtualization tunnel on the host itself, make sure that you use the right NIC, which supports doing these offloads in the presence of VXLAN. So I assume that the problem that network virtualization solve is a pretty important one because customer deployed even despite these four limitations. Yes, and as we talked about, the VXLAN addresses the limitation of packet load balancing. Jumbo frames addresses the limitation of MTU. Newer NICs address the limitation of starting a tunnel on the host. But in most enterprises, the tunnel always starts on the leaf, not on the host. So anyway, that particular limitation does not apply to enterprises which do not start network virtualization on the host. The only problem that remains is the problem of not being able to do trace path across both the underlay and the overlay. Unfortunately, this is a problem that the networking world has dealt with in, since time immemorial. And so they have not been as upset by this one limitation, despite it being a limitation. So that's the only limitation that they need to really uh, live with to use network virtualization uh, inside the data center. So I suppose in the next episode, we are going to consider how to create this tunnel, which protocol are used to create this tunnel. Can you give us a short glimpse of what we will talk about? As you pointed out earlier in the discussion, Silvano, uh, the VTAP, this ingress VTAP is a place where the packet is mapped from the inner to an outer. So we need to determine what is the local instance to the global instance of a virtual network. We need to determine how you map the inner MAC address to the outer destination VTAP. All of this mapping has to be done uh, at the ingress VTAP. How this setup happens is what the control protocol of network virtualization is. There are two very popular ways in which this can be done. This can be done using a proprietary protocol uh, that is used right from by a vendor, right from the host itself. So they use something that determines this mapping, which is proprietary to the vendor. It could be even an open thing, like for example, Open Nebula, or they use a network standard called eVPN to provide this functionality of uh, network tunnels. Okay, Dinesh, thank you so much for your very clear explanation. I hope our listeners were interested by what you said, what we discussed. Don't forget to follow me on my GitHub Pages blog. It is Silvano Guy dot github dot io thank you for listening